Thank you, Moss Girls. Appreciate that. Well, I'd like to wish everybody a happy new year. And I hope you all had a merry Christmas. It's good to see everybody here. We are missing some families. Some are ministering in Guatemala. Uh, others are unfortunately homesick. And then some are traveling. But it's always good to be in the house of the Lord. If you are a football fan, a sports fan, or a football fan in particular, one who follows the stats, and I know some of you do, you'll appreciate this joke. There's a man who finally, after years and years of scrimping and saving and squirreling away pennies and nickels and dollars, finally came up with enough money to buy tickets for the Super Bowl, or a ticket for the Super Bowl. And not just any ticket. He was able to save up enough money to get a seat right down close to the field on the 50-yard line. And he was all excited as he was attending his very, very first Super Bowl. And he wasn't there long and all the excitement. He noticed that the seat to his left was empty. And so he asked the man on the other side of the seat, Uh, Excuse me, sir, but um, do you know if anybody's sitting here? And he said, no, no, nobody's sitting there. And the first man said, "I, I can't even believe that somebody would pay all this money for this choice seat to one of the greatest sporting events of the year and not even show up, not even be here to see it. And the man to his left said, well, actually, uh, that's that's my seat. And he said, and I paid for that seat and it was for my wife and uh, she just passed recently passed away. And this will be the first Super Bowl that we hadn't been together since we got married in 1967. And the man said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's uh, that's terrible. And it was just after a few seconds of silence, he said, But couldn't you find anybody else to bring to enjoy the game with you? Like maybe a family member, a brother or a cousin or a workmate or at least a neighbor or anybody? And he said, no, no. All my close family and all my close friends are at my wife's funeral. He's a sports fan. Now, I like those kind of jokes, but some of you are saying, oh, it's terrible. But it's a joke. It's make-believe. It's not based on a true story to my knowledge. May it never be. Well, a few months ago, as I was seeking the Lord for direction for my own life, And for direction for New Covenant Fellowship, I was having a devotion and my eyes landed on this psalm and it just really, really gripped me. Just just as soon as I read the words, it immediately began to minister to me. And you know how that works. If you're a believer, we can read scripture and, and it just ministers to us in different degrees. But when God really wants to get our attention, I mean, his word is living and active. And he really got my attention with this particular Psalm, and as I began to meditate on the days thereafter, meditate on it and think about it and apply it to the life, I, 
came to realize that it wasn't just for me, but felt very strongly that I was to share this psalm with my church family. And so I was very settled on that and excited about that. It's the same psalm I used in November to speak to some men at a men's devotion. And uh, and then more recently, I guess it's been about four, maybe five weeks ago, I was having another devotion on out of the first few chapters of Job. And that devotion just really gripped my heart and challenged me. And as I meditated on that and tried to apply that over the next several days, I, I began to sense that maybe God would have me to share that with the church family as well. And so I was struggling like. Lord, which one is it? I don't know how to take this. I don't know what to do with these stories or these verses. Which one would you have me to share? Because they didn't they don't really fit together very well. It would just be too choppy. And so I just kind of wrestled with that, trying to you know, put the ears of discernment on over the coming weeks as New Year's was quickly approaching. And then about two weeks ago, as I was seeking the Lord about these two different verses or stories, um, I, the Lord opened my eyes to something that I hadn't seen in this psalm. And it became very evident, evident to me that actually the two stories or words of God fit beautifully together. That Job complements the scripture and psalm in an awesome way. And it just, it just dawned on me that these both, both of these needed to be shared. And so they ministered to me and I want to share them with you. But the, the main crux, the thing that I want us to get in our hearts will be the psalm that I share. And just want to encourage you to memorize it, memorize it in your families or your community groups, um, whatever it takes, because we want to get God's word. And I think in particularly this word in our hearts for 2016. And this is one of those. Uh, so I guess you might call it a, a psalm with a side of Job because Job is just kind of going to complement this psalm. And the psalm is Psalm 73, verse 26. You can turn your Bibles there. I will also be in the first couple chapter, chapters of Job as we close. But Psalm 73, 26. Let me just preface it before I read it. And just say that this is one of those scriptures where... If you're in this season of your pilgrimage where everything is just wonderful, and we do have those seasons, and you really sense, you know, I don't lack for, for anything. I'm close to God. Everything is just going wonderful. I'm growing um, and all is well. Then it may not at this time have the impact uh, that it could have. But... You know, if we're coming out of or in or entering into a season where maybe we've had a rough year and we're just we, we just are feeling very weary, uh, we're, we're weak, kind of drained, maybe even feeling very, very vulnerable or helpless. Now, this is one of those verses, I think, that really will bring a great deal of hope. And it's a verse that's could be called. One of those but God verses. There's a few verses in scripture that says but God. And it's a powerful. And that one word, that conjunction has a lot of power to it, even in our own lives as we as, as we use it in our language, because that one word can take a situation or a thought or say the beginning of a sentence and can just completely change it from the way it was started in either direction. And you could start 
a sentence positively and then use that conjunction and then it just turns negative. Or you can use it in a negative way and then turn it positive. So an example of starting out with a positive and then ending up with a negative change of directions would be, say, the boss calls you into the office and he sits you down and he says, you know, you've been doing a great job. You've got a strong work ethic. I really appreciate what you're bringing to the company But I'm afraid we're going to have to let you go. Budget cuts in corporate. Or maybe in your younger days, you really like this girl and you let her know how much you like her. And and, uh, she comes to you and she says, I really like you, too. But I just want to be friends. So things kind of start out positive or maybe you've been working really hard to try out for a team and you go to the tryouts and the coach calls you in and he says, you know, you got a lot of skills and you left it all on the field. But we got to cut you. We got to let you go. So see, that word can just change things in a matter of three letters, but it can also change things from negative to positive. And that's what happens in this song. This but God psalm. And so Psalm 73, <clears throat> verse 26, the psalmist in this in this case, Asaph wrote these words and he says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So he starts out with a little bit of weakness, vulnerability, almost hopelessness. I mean, what do you what could you possibly do if both your flesh and your heart are failing? And then he says, but God is the strength of my heart. Well, he starts out talking about how the physical was failing and we don't know what he was going through. We don't. Possibly a sickness or maybe just a moment of weakness or maybe he's just uh, feeling his age. Maybe he's just growing old and he's realizing his humanity. He's feeling the limits. The strength just isn't there like it used to be in one way or another. Maybe he's just temporarily exhausted. That happens as well. But he is just realizing that his flesh is... Uh, is failing him. And that happens. You know, as youngsters, you think about you, you see the kids play around church and after church, they're running, they're running around and chasing each other with sticks and playing on the on the jungle gym and everything. And then you'll just see them get fatigued. And what do they do? They just, you know, wait a minute, take a break. And they just take one or two deep breaths and then they're back at it 100 percent. But. That doesn't always work when you get a little bit older. Now, I'm 51 and I'm 50 and a penny, I guess you'd say. I'm 50 and a penny. And uh, I I don't like to admit it, but I'm feeling my age. You know, maybe the last time I admit it. So remember this. I I like to fight it, but I'm feeling my age. And it's kind of humorous. I mean, you got I'm learning that you have to just laugh things off. But um, as you recall, I used to be a general contractor. And the way that you could even make a uh, living at general contracting is that you don't you can't just do the work well enough to satisfy the customer. But you have to do it fast. You have to hustle, you know, go to the truck to get your tools. Everything you do, the way you make your money is that you just have to really pour it on and hustle. 
Otherwise, you can do the job excellently, but walk away poor because you didn't do it quick enough. And so that was the, the pace in my mindset. And, and uh, sometimes I would be, you know, cha-ching, cha-ching. Uh, if I wasn't moving fast enough, I would be th- thinking about the estimate that I gave on this job and my workers and so forth. And I'm thinking, man, we got to pick up the pace. So that's just kind of the mindset. And it's kind of funny because now I still look at projects with a, uh, the mind of a 20-year-old. And I'll look at something that needs to be done, and I'll say, yeah, about a day at the most. And then three days later, still working on it, I'm thinking, what is, what are you doing? What's taking me so long? And I just am feeling my limitations. The physical just isn't there. Um, recently, uh, I had to really laugh at myself with this. I had to cut a tree that was rotted in the yard, and I was racing the clock because I... I had it all planned out, what I needed to do, and I wanted to get it completely cleaned up, raked everything by dark time, and I got a little bit of a late start before dark hit, and then I had a meeting that night. So I paced it, and I figured I got to do this by this time, and I was right on schedule, um, and then I noticed it started slacking off, it was getting darker, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it, and in my mind, I am just moving so fast, I mean, I'm just hustling, and I was carrying some logs, and I looked down at my feet, thinking I'm hustling, and they just were going almost like in slow motion, I was thinking, what is going, I just had to laugh at myself, because I thought I was moving so fast, I thought, so that's why it's taking you so long. And Lisa laughs at me every time I say how long something will take because she adds three days or three weeks to it. So in other words, yeah, I guess you could say in that sense, my flesh is failing me. I got to come to grips with that reality that it doesn't cooperate like it once did. And, you know, if we think about our lives and if we think about our struggles and even the struggles of those around us in this very room, our friends and family. We find that that's what many of us are facing in one way or another. Sometimes it might be sickness, a weakness of some kind, uh, injury, or just old age. It's, it's all on the table. It doesn't matter how old we are. The flesh fails. My dad is uh, 89 years old, and I, you know, I love my dad. I think the world of my dad, and I'm so blessed that both my parents are actually still with me. And uh, when God used this verse in my life, I actually called him because I was thinking about using it for for the men's devotion and crew. And um, so I called my dad and I shared what was going on in my life and about this verse. And I said, you know, I needed a little help, just wanted to pick his brain a little bit. I said, so I read the verse to him and I said, Dad, when when I read this to you, what comes to your mind? And um, I said, let's take the, the first part. When my, my flesh may fail, what comes to your mind? And um, he said, not what I thought. I thought he would talk about, you know, his arthritis and he shuffles his feet now. And he's feeling his age. And there's, there's just a, a, other physical ailments that, that he has to struggle with. But he said, when I think about that, what comes to my mind is how short life is. And so he, he's seeing that uh, he's close to the end. And he, and he looks back at his 89 years of life and he just thought, it's just so short. And depending where we are in life, you know, we look at it in diff- with, from a different perspective. But from someone that age, yeah, I just can't believe how short life really is. You, you think you have all this time, but you don't. 
You know, and, and you know, I respect my dad. He's a, he's a, he brought nine kids in the world. He's a family man. He's a successful businessman. He's a World War II vet. He's a patriot. And um, most, he's a respected man in the community. And most of all, he's a man of faith. And when he said about how short life is, he said, that's why you have to be anchored in Christ. And he looked at the coming death. He said, I'm looking forward to my prize, the prize of my faith, which is eternal life. So he, it was kind of a little warning there. You've got to be well anchored. You have to be prepared for what's ahead. And that anchor is Christ. But it's not just the flesh that can fail. The psalmist reminds us, my heart, my flesh and my heart may fail. And the heart, when in the Hebrew language, which is very descriptive, the heart pretty much means the whole person. It's everything. It's your mind. It's your emotions. It's your, it's your will. It's the drive. It's your person. It's what makes you you, your whole being. And so the heart, uh, when, when the flesh grows weak, a lot of times our heart can go with it. Because it just keeps coming and it keeps bearing down on us and it keeps burdening us. And we can begin to lose our resolve. We can begin to lose our drive and our courage to do life and to do it well, to stay upbeat. It's, it's very difficult. And sometimes we can begin to lose hope and, and stamina as these are the things of the heart. And the hardships of life can, can wear us down in that sense as well. I have... Completed 12 years of ministry. And so I am now on my 13th year. And I've said it many times that this year, for just a variety of reasons, being hit from every different angle, a lot of things was very difficult for me. The hardest year, I think, since I've been a Christian, definitely since I've been in ministry. And I think it was in October, it just all year had been building and I was burdened and it couldn't get a sense of relief. And it was like God's presence wasn't there. It was just one struggle after another. And I remember talking to Lisa and I could just feel myself slipping. And she had listened to me whine all year. I've been whining and complaining about this all year. Bless her heart, she's had to listen to that. And this one particular day. I said, my heart's failing. My heart's failing. And I, I'd never said those words before. In 12 years of ministry, it's just never even dawned on me to, to think, no, my, my heart's slipping. It's failing. I'm, I'm losing my resolve. And we have, we have uh, triumphs and failures in life. And none of those things ever cause me to doubt. But this year was so hard that I actually, and when those words came out of my mouth, I could hardly believe it. Because that's not me. It's never even dawned on me to have those thoughts. But that's what happened. And I said, my heart is failing. One of the things that I asked my dad about, we talked about the physical. And then I said, what about, um, what comes to your mind when the psalmist says, my heart is failing? And again, he didn't answer the question like I thought he would. I thought he would talk about the physical ailments and then the hardships that he and mom have faced. And mom, my mom had chemotherapy from cancer and then she's lost pretty much all of her hearing. And that's just hard in the household. There's just a lot of things. 
I said, what, what does, comes to your mind with this idea that my, my heart is failing? And he said, the, the thing that uh, takes my breath, um, that really burdens my heart, is the fate of our nation and the fate of Christianity, the decline of Christianity. He said, this isn't the country I grew up in. And he has, through his years, he's, he's watched, he said, we were so blessed as a nation and so reliant upon God. And now we have excluded God and we don't want God. And he is seeing the effects and the moral vacuum that it's causing among us. And, and it, it burdens his heart. It worries him. He's a little fearful for it because the strength that we had is gone and it makes him feel very vulnerable and, and even vulnerable for his children and his grandchildren. Sometimes the things of life just burden our hearts and kind of takes the wind out of them. I know for me this year, it was just like the kid who just ran out of energy, but can take a few deep breaths and just be 100 percent again. I, for most of the year, I felt like I couldn't quite get that deep breath to to be able to function again and just and, and get the oxygen that I needed. The heart fails. My dad's worried about Christianity, at least in in this nation. And it just causes his heart to fail. You know, what what stark realities or what hardships or what brokenness makes your heart fail? What's that burden that just seems to really it's it's before you and you can't quite seem to move it out of the way. You're not strong enough for whatever reason. It's not that you don't want to press on. It's not that you don't want to just get that fresh breath of air and be able to move right on. But you're feeling too weak and you sense that you're not able to get beyond this. What is it in your life that's taking the wind out of your sails? Or perhaps even causes you to question. Maybe you want to throw the towel in in that area of your life. Just quit. Push the button. The off button. Not because you want to, but you just, there's nothing there. You're thinking there's nothing there. There's no supply. I would love to fix this. I would love to press on, but I am on E. Physically and spiritually, I do not have the resolve. There's just nothing there to give. Have you ever felt like that in life? That certainly happens. Well, when the the flesh fails, and it will, and when the heart fails, and it will, then where is our hope? Well, that's the time for the but God part of the verse. Because that's where our hope is. And it is such an encouragement to, to be able to meditate on the truth of God's living word. That when our flesh fails and our heart fails and we in and of ourselves are saying, I just don't have anything more to give. The good news is that when we don't, when we feel our limitations, God has no limitations. The but God is and we're not alone. We're not stuck here on E when we have Christ. And that word for the strength of my heart literally means, the word for strength literally means rock. 
And he's saying, but God is the rock of my heart. And so all of the vulnerability and the instability and the limitation that the psalmist is feeling in and of himself, he's realizing that God has all that. And and he's solid, he's heavy, he's immovable, he's stable. And there are no limits to his strength and to his ability to press on and continue on. So when we place our faith in him, God covenants with us to be there for us and to care for us. As a matter of fact, in such a way that we are often encouraged to not rely on our own strength. To not rely on our own resolve. As a matter of fact, Scripture takes it even farther to say that when I am weak, the Apostle Paul says, when I'm weak, when I feel my limitations and even my resolve waning, God is strong. He is strong. And so the psalmist is encouraged that though he has nothing to give, he's on the rock. He's put his faith on the rock. So life isn't over. He's able to go like the the sap that that comes up through the the roots and through the trunk and it works its way into all the branches. He's invigorated, though his flesh has failed him in his heart. He's invigorated because God does not fail. And so as we pilgrim through this year, we will face hardships. If you're a Christian, you've already faced hardships. We will continue to face hardships and struggles because Jesus tells us that's what it means to follow him. It comes with it. It's part of the course. It's part of the curriculum. As I was reminded this week, God has us on a course of training, and scope and sequence. And he brings all of these things into our lives to build our character into the person that he wants us to be. So we'll face these things. We will face failures. We will have physical challenges and most certainly spiritual challenges. And like the psalmist, it's okay to acknowledge our weakness. It's okay to say, you know, I don't know that I have it in me to take another step, to make another decision. Because God is the strength of my heart. We never want to think that just because we are at the end, that God is at the end. When we are weak, God is strong. You know, sometimes we want to defy these things. There are those that refuse to let physical inability stop them. And they want to defy death and say, that may be you, but I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to do everything I can, and I'm just going to keep on going. I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to grow weak. I'm not going to get sick. And there is something to say for fitness, and we can have a better quality life. And, yeah, we can add years on to our lives, but it's just prolonging the inevitable. And there's a time where we just have to see who we are, who God created us to be, and what this life is supposed to be. And we will meet our end. But as my father reminded me, the end for the Christian really, at least physically, is the beginning. Because like the seed in the ground, it's going to grow new. So we want to keep this verse close to our hearts, I believe, this year. Just get it in there deep. Put it in our minds. Think about it. 
Because we all have this promise that God is the rock of our heart. And you can't move that rock. You can't shake it. And it will never run out of the sustenance and the power that we need. And then here's the, where the side of Job fits in. And the reason I couldn't reconcile these two passages is because uh, I kept looking at the psalm and emphasizing the rock part of it. But he goes on to say, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Not just my strength, but God is my portion forever. What does it mean? Is God your portion? What does it mean for God to be my portion? Well, he's referring to what happened when God brought the tribes into the promised land. And it was their inheritance. God gave it to them. He through his promise, he's keeping a promise. And so each tribe had their boundaries and one would go up north and one down south, east and west and so forth. They were all given an inheritance, the land of milk and honey. This is where I'm going to plant you and you can grow. And everything is there for you to have your sustenance and to be blessed by me. And so that was the portion. That was God's means of provision for these tribes, all but one tribe. And that was the tribe of Levi. And they were God's priests. They were God's ministers. And what God said to them is, the Lord is your portion. You don't draw your nourishment or your sustenance by planting things in the ground. You don't have ground. You don't have dirt and earth. You have me. And I'm going to use other means to provide for you. The Lord is your portion. I am all you need. Of course, the Lord's main means was the offerings and the sacrifices of the other tribes as they came into the temple. But the idea is that God would take care of them. He was their milk and honey, so to speak. They were to look to him alone for their contentment. For their very livelihood. For their very lives. And this is where the first few chapters of Job comes in. Because that's in essence what has happened here with Job. And I'm not going to read it all. I don't have time to do that. I'm going to trust that you're somewhat familiar with the story. But the book of Job, these chapters teaches us the importance of having God as our portion. Especially when the material blessings Vanish. Let me just read the first three verses of Job <clears throat> chapter 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And obviously, if you know the story, God was blessing him for his faithfulness, for his, his upright bringing. And it goes on to say that, he was uh, an outstanding citizen in the community. He used his wealth to bless others. He fought for justice. I mean, everybody in the East loved him because at one time or another, he probably helped them out in some kind of way. This is a top-notch guy. He loves God. He, 
He fears God. He's a very spiritual man. He's a great dad. He burns offerings for his family to the Lord just in case there was a sin. He's a leader. Everybody loved him. He's held in great, very high esteem. And he is more blessed than any other man in that entire locality. And then a single, on a single nightmarish day, he, his faith is challenged. He is given the ultimate test. Because all of the wealth and all of the material blessings that God had given him, one after one, he gets news from messengers that they, they're, they're gone. <clears throat> In verses 13 through 19. A messenger comes and says, basically, not in this order, I won't take the time to read it. But basically, uh, your, your servants were attacked and all your camels have been taken off by the Sabaeans. And then this lightning struck these, the livestock over here. And I'm the only servant that survived to come and tell you about it. And then finally a servant comes. So everything is wiped out. All of his wealth, his livestock, all the servants. And then finally another servant comes to him and says, All your children were at your oldest son's house having a party and a celebration. And a storm hit, wind hit, it blew the roof in and they're all crushed. And I'm the only survivor to tell you. And so one after one, a relentless barrage of bad news. Everything that he was, everything that he had, this greatest man of the East just lost all his greatness. Even the good things, family. One by one. So the things that the Lord had given him were gone. Now, I'm reading this in this devotion. And what can anybody possibly say under this kind of duress? I mean, can you even imagine? This really happened. What can somebody possibly do? What can they possibly say under these kind of circumstances when everything you loved, everything you stood for, everything you worked for, even your ability to bless others and help others that you took joy in when it's all gone? Look at verses 20 through 22. This is his response. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and what? Worshipped. Worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or, cha- or charge God with wrong. He didn't utter a single word of complaint. Of course, I'm reading this and I'm realizing all I did all year is whine and complain. And I have not been struck near to the degree that Job was struck. Nothing against God. What he does is is what he had done before he lost everything. He goes to the ground. Of course, he's in mourning. He goes to the ground and he worships his God. How is that possible? How can somebody's faith be so strong? How can any human be so focused? And I think the, the way he is able to do this is because his perspective Notice what he said. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
In other words, he's humble enough to have the presence of mind that all of the blessings that he had in this life, all of these things, wonderful, wonderful treasures, he didn't deserve. They were just things that God blessed him with. And God's the sovereign Lord, and he can bring things into our lives that we don't deserve. And he can also take things out of our lives. So he's looking at all of the material, everything of this earth as transit, give or take. And God is in control of those things, and God has a right to do these things. So he entered with nothing, and God can take it as he sees fit. But I think the real reason that he was able to bow on the ground and worship God is because we read that and we think, oh, you've lost everything of value. You have absolutely nothing left. And of course, he even loses his health later on. You have nothing left. And Job would say, that's not true. I have the greatest thing of value that cannot be taken away from me. And that is my faith in my God. Because he has that. He's not wiped out. He didn't invest his identity or his success so that when this is taken away or he loses a loved one, a family member, an ability, a skill, a reputation, he doesn't sink with it. Because those are things in this World that can come and go and aren't always in our control. But the one thing that is lasting and the one thing that no one can take any away from us unless we let them is our faith in God. And so in his brokenness and in his loss, he still has a thing of most value. He's able to continue on because he has that treasure. You see, in other words, God is his portion. And we look at all these portions and this inheritance and the earthly things that he's missing out on. And God is his portion. He still has him and he still worships him just like he did before he lost these things. Job didn't find God in the suffering. He had God and he remained in him. He was abiding in him through this. So stripped of the material things. His true dependency, because it was not on those things, he did not see that he was worthless and washed up. He still seems, sees himself as a man of God. I know my Redeemer lives. That's an incredible perspective. And I, I, I just kind of looked at Job and, and my little pitiful whiny self all year and I thought, hmm, yikes. I've got a lot of growing up to do. Where's my faith? You know, when we face trials, we lose things of this earth. Do we complain or do we bow and worship? Do we see the big picture? And I think the only way it's even possible to bow and worship under these circumstances is through the eyes of faith. Able to see that this isn't all there is. Having God alone is more than enough. And he cannot be replaced. And the other things can be replaced. And matter of fact, God restored these things to Job. Family, riches, reputation. And no, it's not the same. It's not the same people. But, but the idea is that they still serve the same purpose. God can take and give away different things into our lives at different times. And they still serve the same purpose. But the constant 
is faith. The constant is God. That's what we cannot afford to lose. I remember reading that and I thought, God, is this really fair? I mean, you cause this man great pain. And I'm wrestling with God over this. How could you do this? Is that fair? To wipe a man out like that and put such anguish in his heart, such such destruction. And I think the only conclusion that the story could lead us to to answer that question, is it fair? Would you really do this? And how could you do this? Is, is faith, is a man's faith really that important? And I think the answer is yeah. Faith is the most important thing. Much more important than the material. Is God our portion? Jesus teaches the same thing in the Gospels. He challenges us, you know, to follow me. There's a good chance you might have to give up all these things that are so precious to you, even family. Your riches, your reputation, even your loved ones. It's the same message throughout the, throughout the scriptures. Is God our portion? Obviously, our tendency, I think, is to cling to the things of this world and make that our portion at the expense of our faith. And so we have a, a strong dependency on the things of this world, but a weak dependency on God. Now, in praying about the application, what does this mean? Am I, say, or, I thought you might be out there thinking, are you saying that God is going to bring us through the life of Job? I don't think so. To my knowledge, no. I don't have that sense. But I think the application, no matter where we are or God takes us individually or as a church, the application is this, that we need to wean ourselves off of the dependency on the portion that we have in this earth, even the blessings that God has given us. Our abilities, our strength, our resolve, our will, all of these things, our reputation, they're good and they serve a purpose by all means. But they cannot be our rock. They cannot be our identity so that when we lose those, we are no longer ourselves. Our identity has to be in Christ. So wean ourselves off trusting in any or all material or earthly thing as more reliable than God. Being able to let go of the things of this world, even while we're still in this world, without letting go of our faith in God. So when we have nothing, what do we have? Job had God. What a naked and, and gritty and visceral a faith that he had. This is just, this is raw bone stuff here. When he turns to him. This rugged relationship with God that remained in his existence. Because his Redeemer lives. Blessed be the name of the Lord, Job says. And so I'm trusting that this verse, Psalm with a side of Job, if you will. As we get it in our hearts, I'm trusting that this is going to be a but God year. Sure, this might happen and this might happen and this might happen. But can we be a but God individual and, and congregation? Even in the sense of. Watching maybe our precious nation and even the precious, precious Christian faith of those in 
in our country, as we watch it dissipate, as we watch the things that we have had such security in over the years become vulnerable. Can we say, but God is the rock of my heart. He alone is what I need. And that there are things that can and will fail in this world, including those things that are the most important to us. But what must not fail is our faith. And so let's enter into the this new year with this knowledge being informed by God's holy word, God's scripture, knowing that our faith in him is more important than anything we have gained and anything that we could ever lose. May God bless the preaching of his word.